Okay, guys, welcome back to the latest edition of the Wandering Bear Sports Podcast, the number one sports podcast in the world. Before I introduce today's very special guest, I'd like to ask a favour of all our listeners. Please make sure you subscribe to whatever platform you're listening on. And when you get the chance, please follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Wandering Bear Sports. Today's very special guest is a two-time Major League Rugby winner. He's currently playing for the Seattle Seawolves in the Major League Rugby Tournament. He's a former Southern Districts captain and he is a Melbourne Rebel tight head prop. Uh, he's one of my best friends in the world and I think people will get a lot out of his story. He's overcome a lot to get where he is and I think people will really, really relate to it. So without further ado, please enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with my friend, Tim Metcher. Today's episode is brought to you by the very best caffeine supplement on the market. Used by elite athletes all over the world, caffeine chewing gum is without a doubt one of the quickest and tastiest ways to get your caffeine in pre-workout or game. Check them out at www.caffeinegumaustralia.com. All good? How are you? Good, mate. Good. Hey, we're rolling. Hey, Brookstar. <laughs> How are you? Good. Oh, sorry. You only can hear me. Oh, you're only on the headphones. You're on the headphones. What's going on, man? Good, man. Not much. How have you been? Pretty good. I've... Uh... Probably not gone as hard on Easter long weekend as I have in the past, but yeah, it's still, still reasonably hard. How about you? Are you guys allowed out of the house yet, or is it still pretty much in lockdown? No, it's just, mate, we're pretty much back to normal, to be honest. Um, yeah. You know, as soon as we got here, it was, um, as long as you're wearing a mask, um, pretty much, uh, I don't know, he is recording, but. I don't think he's starting it. We're just chatting. Yeah. Um, no, the, the whole thing's just a chat. So. Yeah, sweet. Yeah, we're just talking. So life in Seattle is pretty much wear a mask and there's no other restrictions or is there any other things that they put on you guys? Uh, basically, yeah, wear a mask whenever you're outside, um, you know, in the grocery stores, all that kind of stuff. Um, I think every business is now allowed to have 50% um you know, total in their restaurants, bars, etc. You still have to book, but mate, there's no there's no contact tracing like Australia. You know, at home we have to scan a QR code to get in or whatever like that. You know, at least they know which you know who's been where. There's nothing like that, mate. So you can kind of you can kind of understand why it kind of snowballs over here. Um, yeah. You know, say say we went out for dinner and there was a few hundred people went through that restaurant that day. Um, no one would know who was there. And what time they were there, you know what I mean? So yeah, yeah, it's a bit strange, but um, is there a reason they do that, or is that just because it's America? I just think it's poorly handled. Um, yeah, come say hello. Yeah, selfish just wake up. Is yeah. that Ivy? Ivy met. <laughs> hello. She's getting so big. I oh, know. She's a big unit. <laughs> hello. Hello. She say hello, Cubby. Say hello, Cubby. Oh, she's, so okay. we'll get out of here. she's getting so big down there. How's it all going? Is she moving around and talking and stuff? Yeah, or is that still a few months away? Uh, she's not talking. Um, she's but making a lot of noises, you know, like um, and like high pitched squealing and um, all of that kind of stuff. She's rolling from a 
What she do? She rolls to her tummy, but then she can't roll yeah. back to her back to back to her back. So she gets frustrated, and then she'll just start sort of yelling out for help, especially when she goes to bed. Um, so she sleeps fully in her own room now, um, and we've got a, like a baby monitor, which is good because when we were back home, she, she was co-sleeping with us in the room, and every little wriggle, every little noise, every little snore or snort, you you wake up, you know, it's impossible um, to you know, to get good sleep basically with, with a newborn. But now she's sweet. We've um, sleep trained her. We've, um, yeah. Um, and how you sleep train them is basically put them in a room and let them scream until they fall asleep. And it's pretty rough. But um, So you, but, can't um, go and, you can't go and grab them or anything? You just well, the, way, the way it works is start with 10 minutes, right? You know, get to the 10 minute point and go and reassure them that, you know, mum and dad are still here, you know? So go and rub their tummy and, you, you might pick them up and give her a little hug if she's really freaking out. And then you go back again and then you let them go and say next time it's 12 minutes. You know what I mean? Until, until eventually she'll fall asleep. And, and uh, after only three days, Ivy was falling asleep within four minutes or something like that, you know? So, How good is yeah. that? Yeah, and sleeping from like 7 p.m. all the way through till 7 a.m. sometimes, like 12-hour sleeps, you know? And how how old is she now? Five months old. Um, oh, but before, awesome. before we'd sleep trained her, she was waking up every three hours, you know. So, so it's just getting them used to that routine that yeah. people are still there. Because well, I guess it's all new yeah. to them, isn't it? Yeah, basically once they know that they can fall back asleep on their own without mum and dad coming to cradle them, um, that's why they call it sleep training. They know that, hang on a second, I can actually fall back asleep on my own. Yeah. Um, and then once they figure that out, yeah, it's pretty, it's a lot easier for the parents, put it that way. But, Are they... Um, have they given you guys immunizations yet or is, is that not widely available? It is, mate. Um, so they're rolling the vaccines out in, um, in stages. Um, I think already 100 million US, um, yeah, 100, Ameri- 100 million Americans, sorry, have already been vaccinated. And yep. they're, going, they're going out in stages, you know. So first it was the high risk, you know, so frontline health workers, um, teachers, people over 65, uh, people with... Um, you know, diseases or, you know, at a higher risk. And then yeah. now it's, it's at, say, stage three of the stage four rollout. So at the moment, it's um, basically if you're obese or something. So you and me would be sweet to get one at the moment. Uh, <laughs> uh, oh, I know, things like that, mate. So I think we're one stage away from being a full rollout to every, you know, every um, Tom, Dick and Harry. So um, Brooke and I have... Um, we've what do you call it we've put our name in on a wait list and as soon as they're available for our our sort of branch of people then we're ready to roll um but there's still a lot of there's still a lot of back and back and forth over here on on whether or not people are going to get it you know what i mean they're uh, you know just it's strange i mean people are dying at a high rate you know still still to you and me it would make sense to as soon as it's available, just get one in your, get a jab in your arm. You know what I mean? You know, yeah. try and save lives. Um, but it's just the American way of, you know, I've got my rights, I've got my this and that. And um, unfortunately, there's still a bit of fight back about it. Um, but I mean, you know, a third of the population being vaccinated already since Christmas is a huge start. Um, Do once, so just say hypothetically, everyone gets vaccinated. Does the world go back to normal or are there still going to be restrictions on people or or have they not really worked that out yet? I guess the world has to 
okay, so with viruses and, and pandemics in the past, they they get to a point where they call it herd immunity. So I believe that is around 75% of the population is either has either had a virus or is is immune to the virus through a vaccine or or previously had it. So when your population runs at around 75% herd immunity, I believe they can say we can crack back on with life as we know it. Um, <laughs> but I, I know flying internationally recently when we moved back over here to Seattle, um, you know, Qantas aren't flying internationally at all. And if they are um, to start back up in 2022, I believe, every, they're not going to let a, a foreign a foreign person on a plane or an Australian overseas unless you've got a vaccine. Okay. Um, so I think, you know, that's a pretty clear picture of, of where it's, it's heading, you know. Um, I think the virus is, yeah, still still be around for quite a while and still um, it's, it's definitely not going to be in the rear view mirror um, in terms of the next 12 months, I wouldn't say. Um, but uh, in my mind, even if uh, getting the vaccine would knock six months off my life at the end of my life because they haven't tested it properly or whatever, if yeah. the world went back to normal, I'd fucking do it. Well, yeah. that's it, mate. I mean, you know, I, I sort of had this argument with a couple of fellows over here um, that sort of had some reasoning to not get it. Um, and I just said in, in a broader picture, people are dying, you know, hundreds of, you know, literally millions of, of Americans and hundreds of millions of people around the planet are dying still to this day. So it just makes sense to do your part to try and try and halt that, right? Or to try and put an end to that, in my mind. I mean, it's pretty simple. You know, a free vaccine. It's, it doesn't cost anything. It's not. You know, I, I understand the long-term uh, studies aren't available on terms of like side effects or. Um, but mate, you know, we put some other pretty crazy stuff in our body over the years, eh? So. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. That's, hey, that's you know, right. I think we'll be all right, mate. I don't know. <laughs> um, mate. So I was gonna, I was trying to work out how to do this with you because I know you, so I was yeah. like. Should I just, just do this as a do this as a conversation, or should I pretend like I don't know anything? But I'll, I think the best way is to, to just talk. How how did you get into rugby to start with? Uh, so rugby originally, how I got into it. Um, so I, I grew up playing rugby league. I grew up in Central Queensland in a small town, a small mining town called Emerald. Um, it's about three hours west of Rockhampton. I guess would be the closest um, point where people would know Rockhampton's quite a a bigger sort of town in central Queensland and you know rugby league was was basically everything there like that was that was life so grew up playing rugby league um and 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 we're starting to get you know decent I guess you know I was a quite a quite an overweight kid um as a lot of us big fellas are and um once I started to get a little fitter around 13 14 I, I then moved to Coffs Harbour and um I was still playing rugby league for a team called the Coffs Harbour Comets, which is a local uh, rugby league team in Coffs, um, in, in Group 2 rugby league. And uh, I was playing with them, but um, I, uh, I started playing a bit of rugby through school just because I wanted to get out of school. You know what I mean? If there was a 10s or a 7s tournament down in Port Macquarie and we're gone for the day, mate, I'm on that bus, you know? <laughs> so that was for that was for Jetty High? Yeah, Coffs Harbour High School, Jetty High, as, as, as we know it, yeah. And um, yeah, mate, so I just started putting my hand up to try and... Um, play as much footy as you do when you're 14, 15. And I got seen by, by a parent. Um, is they good enough? Who, who you might know from Coffs Harbour. His dad, Pete, good enough. He's a great local uh, rugby sort of uh, figure in Coffs Harbour and on the coast. And um, he said, look, mate, we've got a country championships in Grafton in a couple of weekends time for, you know, under under 15s or whatever it was. He's like, I know you're sort of, we're playing you in the centres and stuff like that in his 10s, but I reckon you'd be a good front rower. 
in rugby, would you mind? He's like, I don't mind picking you up and driving you down, and I'll, I'll talk to your parents and take you to Grafton for the weekend. And um, and I think you'd go quite well. I said, yeah, mate, no worries. I'll give it a crack. Hadn't played much rugby at all. Um, and then we went down there and for the mid-north coast, and I think we ended up, I think we came second in the country champs, and I got picked in the New South Wales country team. Um, I actually played that tournament at 12. At, at inside yeah. Inside centre. <laughs> And got picked for it got picked as a tight head prop, and um and that was that. Um, from that point, I was 15, um, playing the New South Wales country sort of tournaments. You know, we you go and play City in Sydney. You, you go and play some other things. Um, we also had a tour to the Cook Islands in New Zealand. And at that point, I had to I had some other interests from rugby league, whether or not I was going to go to the Newcastle Knights. They wanted me to move to Newcastle to go to Har- um to play Harold Matthews, which is under 16s, uh, NRL or whatever you call it. Um, but I needed to move to Hunter Valley Grammar School, which is in, um, or Hunter Spot Sports High School, sorry, which is in Newcastle. And as a 15 year old, um, basically they got on the phone and said, you've got to choose what you're going to do now, rugby league or rugby union. Um, and I had a tour coming up to New Zealand and Cook Islands, you know, and as a 15 year old, you're not going to turn down an opportunity to travel overseas. So I said sayonara to rugby league um, and went on to play the country on that tour um and never turned back mate through under 15s through under 18s i was um i'd played country year in year out and got to travel you know to you know eight or nine countries by the time i was 20 through um either country or, or country schools um and it's just such an amazing sort of opportunity that new south wales country still still does these tours today because you know to pluck a young kid out of the country like you, myself and, and yourself and to be able to, to see the world, um, it's just an amazing part of rugby. And, and, and doing that and falling in love with the game then, obviously, um, yeah, I, I'm so glad I made that decision. Yeah. Did, you, did you play Australian schools at all? No, so I, I played for country schools um, first 15 when I was in year 11. And then the next year I thought I wanted to play Aussie schools. My best pathway to do that was to go and try out for, for CHS, which is, you know, New South Wales combined high school. So the second year I trialled for CHS and made the first 15 for New South Wales and then um, made the New South Wales all schools team, which then goes to the Australian Championships. And in that tournament, I busted something in my shoulder, a, a rotator cuff, something or other, and missed out on the Australian Champs. So never, never got that chance um, to play Aussie schools, which was a bit of a bummer. And especially being from the, from the country like us, you're quite isolated. You think if you want to get seen or you want to get picked up, um, Australian schoolboys is probably, you know, your your pathway to do so, you know. Um, so I, I, I missed that out, um, missed out on that, sorry. Um, and I, when I did then, I recovered from that shoulder um, injury. I, I just decided to have a gap year. I, I wasn't even 18 in high school. I was, I was a year young. So I thought I'm going to stay at home for a year and I'm, I'm just going to play some rugby. I still had the New South Wales country under 18s. Um, you know, season, we are, we are going on a tour to Hong Kong, um, which you're aware of. That's actually where I first met you, um, in Hong Kong there. Um, but um, I was playing for Coffs Harbour in the grand final. There was two Coffs Harbour teams and we were playing each other in the grand final. This was 2009. And a, and a man by the name of Darren Coleman was stopping by in Coffs Harbour on the way through to his, holiday, uh, to his home, which is in Southwest Rocks. Um, he stopped in to watch the grand final and... Um, he gave me a call the next day and said, mate, um, I stopped by on the way through. I was grabbing lunch and watching grand final. I'd like you to come down to Canberra and trial for this uh, Brumbies Academy. <laughs> I said, mate, what are you talking about? He's like, 
I'm the head coach of the Brumbies Academy. Uh, we've got a program. It's next week. There's, we, there's about 100 kids coming down um, and there's about three or four spots. He's like, oh, if you can, um, we can arrange for, your, you know, your, your travel down to Canberra and we want to see if, you've, if you'd like to mix it in this, in this trial. And I said, oh, of course, mate. So my old man got in the car as we did and drove the 10 hours down to Canberra or from Coffs or whatever it is. Um, and it was a three-day sort of process. Um, did some skills and some units the first day, uh, a bit more of rugby-related rugby games and skills on the second day. And on the Sunday, we played a game, a couple of games of 10. And at the end of it, there was 100 sort of teenagers sitting there and they gave, they read three names out um, to get an academy contract. And I was very, very fortunate enough to be one of those names. Um, and, and that's how I basically... I didn't know that. That's so random. Yeah, and that's basically how I, I started to get into some sort of system um, was from Darren um, sort of telling ID me at, at, at a young age um, by chance, by absolute. That's um, that's what I think. Sliding doors type moment. Yeah, right place, right time. Um, good old Cross Rugby Club. Um, and it hasn't, went down there. It hasn't and, changed. Hasn't changed ha- at all. Hasn't changed. Yeah, you were there the nah, other weekend, eh? Yeah. Not at all. No, I, I, I'd imagine costs, uh, the timing costs are still just ticking along just as it was. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, mate, so I went down there and, and had a crack and then had it, got to start with them. And then from there, those two years I spent in the Brumbies Academy was able to then get selected in the Australian under 20s um, and then go on to play in the, in the Junior World Cup in 2011, which was in Italy. Um, and from there, I, I, I knew I was kind of cemented somewhat in a pathway in Australian rugby, um, which was always, the tough part, like I said, from being isolated, um, trying to get um, seen or get noticed or put your best foot forward for a higher honours or a selection process. Um, so yeah, mate, that's that's how I got uh, how it started. How did you end up at Randwick? So a, a man, it's very very small world. A man named Keith Holmes, who is the Colts director now at Southern Districts, our beloved club. He was a Colts director at Randwick. And when I made that, those New South Wales schoolboys teams, um, Keith had um, flown my dad and I down to, to Coogee, stayed in a you know, lovely hotel, and we went and met with Ramwick, and I'd chosen that, that, that would be my club to place to play Colts at. You know, my, my dad grew up around the eastern suburbs, around Coogee as well. He used to knock around the Coogee Bay Hotel a little bit when he was a bit younger, I think, the big fella. So um, he had plenty of good stories about Coogee and, you know, the famous galloping greens of the 70s, 80s, you know, and, and, and me growing up watching Ramwick play on ABC against Sydney Uni, you know, when I was a kid going, geez, how good is this? Um, I wanted to wear the metal green for sure. So we, I, uh, I took that up. Um, the Brummies Academy allowed me to go and play Colts at Ramwick the first year. And then the second year at the Brummies Academy, they brought in a, a rule that we had to play in Canberra to try and strength, strengthen the Canberra comp, which, which again is still in place, I believe. Um, and Brisbane were then doing that. The Reds were doing that. The Brumbies were doing that. And now Sydney's obviously doing that with the Waratahs. Um, but it, in those days when we were playing, you know, when you and I were playing at South back in the day, there, was, there wasn't that, really that law where, you know, you have to stay, your, your super players play in your, in your town. You know, you remember those final series when Super Rugby would finish and everyone, all the Wallabies would come back to shoot shield. It, it, was, that, it was a hell of a, hell of a competition. And, um, yeah. So, yeah, mate, so I had to stay in Canberra one year and, and, and play with Gungahlin, um down there. Um, played Aussie 20s that year. And, and then I, I didn't get a contract with the Brumbies. There was another promising up, uh, young up, upcoming um, 
Lou said prop by the name of Scott Theo, uh, who was in front of me. Uh, we both played Aussie 20s together and we he picked up the contract in, um, in Canberra. So that left me without a deal. And I said, well, next thing you've got to do is try and try and crack the shoot shield. Um, so I, I moved down to back to Randwick. I'd played Colts there previously. I, I went back to Randwick and all of a sudden I'm, I'm in a preseason and I'm training with, you know, third and fourth grade. And, um, it was kind of a, a weird thing. You know, I've just come off the back of a junior world cup, you know, I'm, I'm fit, young, healthy. I'm, I, I at least wanted to press, press my case to, to be, somewhat selected in first or second grade for a trial match, you know, try and try and prove myself. But um, again, I was just training and training in the preseason, probably four or five weeks, just mellowing with the third grade team or something like that. And um, I just wanted a chance, an opportunity. And uh, a man named, by the name of Cam Blades, who we know quite well was the head coach of some districts at that point. He saw me in a trial game playing for third grade for Randwick and said, mate, what's going on here? And I said, look, mate, I, I don't know. They've just sort of said, you're, you're a young boy. You need to earn your stripes. Um, so this is how we do it at Randwick, you know. And I felt a little, pretty bitter about that, that I'd, I'd played Colts at the club. And, you know, I I'd, I'd felt I'd earned my stripes somewhat. Um, and I said, he said, mate, look, it, it was the week before round one at Shoot Shield um, in 2012 that year. He said, look, mate, come to South if you like. I, I can't guarantee you a first grade spot, but I can guarantee you a chance to prove yourself on the stage and um, and that's when I reached out to yourself. I knew you were there. I knew you were from Coffs Harbour. We'd met briefly and um, you had nothing but glowing reviews about South and, and the club. And next week, mate, I, I was there um, at South. Um, luckily, you and a few other blokes were there. And I um, round one against Manly, I, I started in second grade, came off the bench uh, in first grade in that first week. And then from there on, I played 55 straight games in first grade. Um, for South and changed my changed my career, mate. What, absolutely. What, so you you came down the week before the first game of that year. That's right. Yeah. Fuck, yeah. I didn't realize it was that. I didn't realize it was that close to the season. That was that. Yeah. That was the year we made the grand final versus grand uni. final against Uni. Yeah, we're at Concord. We lost by a point on the bell. Yeah. That um, was um. That was a spectacular rugby team. That yeah, year. We, that's what I'm saying. I was saying before about the you know the the sort of the cattle that were coming back from after Super Rugby, you know, you're talking Tane Douglas and Sidaleki Tamani, Lepetti Tamani, um, Tetra Faulkner. Um, I, I believe myself, I think you and me were the only players that weren't Super Rugby contracted at that point in the team. Um, yes. and, Sean, and Sean Doyle, but obviously he went on to play at the Brumbies and Ulster. Um, just an amazing experience. You know, Nick Cummins, Rob Horn, you know, that, that kind of, upper echelon of players coming back to play in a shoot shield final series. It was unreal. And, you know, 2012, what was I, 20, 22 years old or something like that, you know, amazing. But yeah, mate, that, that's, um, that's how I got to see us. And it was a bit of a, a strange sort of story, a strange sort of runaround to get there. Um, but then, as you know, the, the club and the, the culture at that place, it just sucks you right in. It's, it's, um, you know, maybe to the detriment of some of the performances over the years, but um, uh, just a great, just a great family culture. You know, people would would bleed for that jersey and have and do. You know, um, and you know, just even going back this last year um, during COVID when uh, Major League got cancelled. You know, back to Sydney and hadn't pulled the jersey on for quite a while. You know, since 2017 or something. And 
within 24 hours, mate, I, I had a job. I had a some. I had a, a apartment that was rented, and I was back playing footy. You know, they just genuinely care about people and and making sure that you're as happy and as comfortable as you can be, to make sure that your rugby can be as successful as it can be. You know, so and that's that's what that's what club footy is about, and especially shoot shield, um, shoot shield level. Mate, I, I think we're pretty lucky at South. Um, I know guys from a lot of other clubs and there's some good culture there, but, you know, it is one of those places that keeps sucking you back in, as you say. Yeah, um, it's a dark hole, isn't it? <laughs> I've, got a, I've got a theory that people that tend to stay for a long time tend to be a little left of centre. And if, yeah. you, if you don't enjoy, like, a beer and, you know, maybe a good time, you probably don't last there too long. Yeah. It's also, like... <laughs> well, yeah, easy go. It's uh, it, you know, it's well like a lot of other clubs can seem a bit cold. You know, South have their own venue, their own clubhouse. You know, a functioning bar upstairs. There's photos hanging on on the walls of all the players, past and present. It's just a good old-fashioned rugby club feel. You know, and the ground is immaculate. Um, there's new gym facilities that the club are putting in, you know in place. It's just. It's really, it's just on that borderline of being a professional setup now. And I was just saying last year with Todd Levin coaching, it was, mate, it's, it's better than some programs I've been in that are full-time, mate, um, in terms of the content, you know. Um, so they're going in the right way. And I, I, I wish them all the best. I hope, I hope this, this will be a successful year for them. How did you make the jump into professional rugby? How did I make the jump into professional rugby? Uh, not well. I... <laughs> I um I I'd played like you know those, those three three or, or so years at South, um and then I'd got a, a phone call from Michael Checker. I was working at Trade Link at the time with yourself. Um, a little bit bitter that I hadn't been sort of picked up at that point to maybe try and press my case in at a Super Rugby team. We'd been very dominant as a as a club, and um, especially you know our niche area of, of scrummaging. Um, we had one of the better packs in the league and, and we'd be going quite well. I, I, and I really, so I was starting to feel a bit bitter that not getting a chance. You're, you're being humble. We were, we were fucking people up. Yes, we were. <laughs> um, so I was a little bit dirty. And then at the end of the, another shoot shield season where we just lost a, a semi to go uh, to Eastwood, I believe that year. Yeah. Sorry, we lost the grand final to Eastwood. Um, and then I'm, you know, back in a, in a plumbing warehouse, you know, wearing steel cap boots and, just a little bit bitter about it, you know. And I get a call from Checker saying, "Look, mate, um, we've got an opportunity. We're gonna we're gonna bring ten or so um, ten or so shoot shield players in to do the preseason with us. Um, would would that be something you're willing to do?" And I said, oh, without a doubt, you know, absolutely, mate." And I I went and spoke to our boss that afternoon, and I, I left I left Tradelink that day, and I was at Waratahs training on the on the Monday. Um, you know, I spent every Every dollar, every cent I'd, I'd saved in my in my short life at that point um, on paying rent. Um, my dad would help me cover rent and groceries for that six months. I, it was an ultimate sacrifice to try and to try and crack it, you know. Um, so you you didn't get paid by the tars for that preseason? Not a cent, no. Okay. And it was just um, myself and guys like Hugh Roach and Cameron Orr and a few other guys that were doing it. Um, it was just after that year that the Australian Rugby brought in the, the wider training group contracts because the Players Association sort of seen what had happened to sort of us, but mate, which we were more than willing to do at that point. And, that, and I mean, it was an opportunity, but um, 
at that from that from then on, if you were going to be training uh, with a team full time, you're you're getting compensated from from 2015 onwards. So I guess we were the last sort of old school training training until you make it type um, type of crew. But um, yeah, spent six months at the Tars under Checker and and that was the 2014 championship winning Waratahs team. I mean, the amount of experience, the amount of you know the knowledge in that group of players and the leadership qualities from all those players. It was, it was amazing to be a part of, um, and bloody hard, mate. Bloody hard. Like, I, I remember coming home from some sessions and physically just, or mentally not being able to to talk, or you know that 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 was you know that's the difference of the in, the intensity and the intent of training at that level. Was that the last um, of the real long pre seasons? It was. It's the ones you were that there for September. Yeah, the ones that sort of start in September and the first game's not till February. You know. Yeah. So you're kind of you're slogging for 12 weeks before you play in a trial game, and then you know, if, you know, I was lucky enough to play a couple of the play for the Waratahs A in those they like, caught a Pacific Nations Cup at that point. We had like a uh, a round robin between you know the Brumbies, the Reds, and the Moa Tonga Fiji, sort of a Pacific Nations Cup, and um, got to play in a couple of trial games for the Tars against um, against the Brumbies and against the Highlanders, um, and again pushing my case, but not, you know, not, not really getting anything out of check. You know, whenever myself or my management would speak, you're doing well, keep going, keep going. And then all of a sudden, mate, it's been six months and the team Waratahs are heading off to Africa on their tour. And he pulls me and a couple of others aside and said, all right, mate, um, you guys are doing quite well, but you know, there's no space for you on this tour. And now you're going to go back to, uh, to shoot shields. Th- thanks for your time. And, uh, you know, I remember at that point, just just being dumbfounded, you know, like I've given physically everything, emotionally everything, financially, I'm busted, and then I'm in the car on the way home, and I just, you know, I'm just, what else do I have to do? Like, what, you know, someone just give me a crack, you know, and I, I was just broken, mate, and I, I remember calling my dad in the car on the way home, and I just put the the phone on speaker, and I don't, I don't even think I could say a word for ten minutes, you know, driving from. City Football Stadium back to Cronulla or something, coming through Brighton the Sands and just sort of started to tear up to my old man and just, you know, sort of battling with what, how much I'd invested, um, not only that six months, but the last sort of five years since leaving home or six years, you know, just sort of that was my chance and I've blown it, you know. Uh, and, you know, to my understanding, I, I thought I was going quite well and the feedback from checking the other coaches was, was good, but there was, I guess it was budget or whatever it was for, or you know, no, no space for contractually. So here we are again, mate, and I'm, I'm, I'm crawling back to Tradelink, and I'm uh, in steel cap boots again. And I'm just sort of at this point, I've had enough. I thought if I, if I don't, I'm going to play the year out with South, but it's not going to happen for me. I'm not good enough, and I probably just had to swallow that and get on with it. And I, um, yeah, back at Tradelink, and, and I swear, mate, I swear to God, a week later. A week later, I get a call from the Melbourne Rebels CEO, um, Baden Stevenson. So two weeks prior to that, we played. I played for the Waratahs against the Rebels in a trial match in Albury. And I get yellow carded for being uh, accidentally offside, but making a cover tackle for someone who'd missed the tackle. Um, and I, I was only on the field for 12 minutes, you know, and then got a card. And I thought, well, that's it, mate. I'm done sort of thing. And anyway, I get a call from Baden 
two weeks later, he said, mate, we'd love, we'd love to, um, we like what we've seen. We've been following you for a few years in Shoot Shield and we'd love to bring you down to Melbourne. Um, and then, and that was, and that was it, mate. And that was, that was literally a, a week and a half after I'd been sort of let go from the Tars. So, um, again, the highs and lows and emotionally of, you know, everything you go through in, in terms of the professional side of things. But, um, that from there, that was 2015. Um, sorry, that was 2014. We played out that Shoot Shield season. And I think we lost against Eastwood in the final. Yeah. Um, and I, and then that was the start of my, my journey to Melbourne. Yeah. And so, for the so 2015 you, Super Rugby season. So you got signed on an EPS contract? Yep. First year was EPS contract. So I think each team was allowed five of them at that point. And it was me and Stephen Cummins, the lock from um, Eastwood, who's he's actually back at Melbourne now. Um, oh, Cummins, yeah, he started on the weekend, didn't he? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and me and Camo were also training together with the Waratahs for that six months, the same sort of um, on that, you know, for free. So me and Camo knew each other a lot. We we battled a fair bit together, and then once we, we both got offered this EPS contract, we thought it was a no-brainer to um, try and you know get an apartment down there or a townhouse or something and live together. You know, trying to make the transition into Melbourne. And the transition into Super Rugby a little bit easier because you know you got you got someone someone you know. So um, yeah, we moved down there and with our partners as well. I'd I'd met my now wife Brooke. Um, you know, I think only three or four months prior to moving to Melbourne, um, we kicked it off pretty well. So Brookster came down to to Melbourne as well, and we we uh we moved into a to a spot there with Stephen, his partner at the time. Yeah. When you um, when you got that call, so like. I remember that time. There was some good times and there was some shit times as well. How did how did you um, what was your mood when you got a call from the rebels? Can you remember how you felt? Yeah, I I felt a sense of relief um, for sure. I was very bitter about the Waratahs, the way it ended. Not bitter about my time there. I I I, be, I became a, a professional rugby player at my time in that preseason under Checker and his coaching staff. No doubt about it. Um, but I was bitter again at not getting an opportunity, a greater opportunity. So I can honestly say that the feeling was relief. Um, but then again, nervous as well. Now, well, now as you shot um, to perform, you got to get down there and then you've got to prove yourself. Um, and then, and then, you know, I mean, a lot of people know the next few years for myself, um, I almost got robbed of, my body has let me down basically and got robbed of being able to prove myself the, the, the way I would have liked to on that stage. You know, um, the first year as an EPS, I debuted, I debuted for Melbourne against the Waratahs at, at um, Stadium Australia. So back against the old team and, um, and then played another couple of games that year. Um, and then uh, that NRC really looking to try and to stake my claim, you know, play well in NRC for Melbourne Rising um, and, you know, maybe then I'll, I'll push push into the 23 for next year a bit more for Melbourne. Really try and cement myself as a good up-and-coming tight head. Um, and uh, it was the first game uh, first game playing for Melbourne Rising. We were at Gold Coast Union and you were in the squad as well, um, living, me, li- living with me at the time. And um, right off the kickoff, I went to make a tackle um, on Radiki Samo and... Um, yeah, my, my leg just got caught in, a, in an awkward way and I tore my hamstring off my bone, all, all three tendons. Um, this is, you know, 45 seconds into the game. Um, you know, from, from only playing two or three Super Rugby games at that point and then having to go through that, 
you know, debacle of an injury, um, I just thought there's probably not another chance, <laughs> you know, after everything I've done to get here now, um, they're telling me I need to learn to walk again. They're telling me it's going to be a 12 month turnaround that, you know, and I was only on a one year contract. You know what I mean? Like yeah. how is this going to, how does this play out in your head? You know, <laughs> you know, um, and yeah, they told me 12 months. I've never worked as hard in my life. I played super rugby again in six months um, from that injury. I, um, but then again, that year, um, getting a few chances. I think I played six or seven games that year coming back from the injury and got rushed straight out of rehab, straight into the team because there was an injury to Laurie Weeks, I think, or something. Just wasn't match fit, wasn't, you know, and, and, and again, sort of, just sort of existing, not, not, at, not in my old, you know, not, a, not in my prime of, of being able to prove what I can do at that level, you know. Um, and... Yeah, so then, then that was 2016, you know, a setback and back. But, you know, I'm kind of there. Got offered another one-year contract at that point. So it's my third year. Um, and I'm finally fit and healthy. I'm, I'm mentally in a good spot. And I'm pushing hard in pre-season. I am, I'm training well. I'm strong. I'm fit and I'm healthy. And I start to get a bit of a pain in my foot in the pre-season. And I'm thinking, maybe I, you know, I'll just sort of get on with it. Um, and I just keep going and going and going until I wake up one morning and I can't, I can't walk. And I think, oh, gee, something's wrong here. So I go and get an MRI and it, it turns out I've, I've ruptured this joint in my foot and I need to get a foot reconstruction, you know. We're one week out from a trial match in pre-season and I'd been, you know, <clears throat> slugging away at it for that entire sort of 10 weeks, you know. Um, and I walk into the doctor's office and he says, mate, look, you have to make a choice. If you, if you have the operation, the year's gone. Um, and... You've, you're, you're up for a, you know, a contract renewal at the end of the year. You've got to, you've got to perform, or your career is probably done here. You, you know, I'm talking to the, the rebel stock. You know, I said I, I understand that, mate. Like I, I know, I know what's going on. And he said, well, how about we, how about we try and cortisone the cortisone the, the joint, um, put a couple of needles in there, see what happens. And I said, mate, I'll, I'll do anything to play. Just sort of keep me on the field, mate. Keep me on the field. And then it was just a snowball, mate. One quarter zone, another one, another needle, this and that, until the point where I, I couldn't even drive the car, you know. Um, and ultimately, I had to have the, have the operation. Um, and that was that was the end of my super rugby career, Melbourne, mate. That was the third year, two sort of long rehabs, um, and just just not not enough time or enough time in the saddle to to prove what I had to offer or to show what I had to offer. And it was heartbreaking. Um, but I walked into Baden's office. I just got out, uh, finished my rehab with my foot. Uh, I said, mate, I, I want to release. Baden's like, what do you mean you, you want to release? I said, I need to go and play rugby, mate. I've been in rehab for sort of two and a half years with the, since I've been here. I, I've got to go and prove to myself that I can still play this bloody game. Like, if anything, to myself, not to you or anyone. And he says, well, what do you want to do? I said, I, I want to go and play, I want to go and play for South. Uh, and he said, mate, you know, if you sign a release, that's it. You, you, we're done here at Melbourne and, uh, you know, and, and that's that. I said, yeah, mate, pull out the paperwork. Uh, I just needed to get out, mate. I needed to play rugby. I needed to, needed to show myself I could still do it. I said, you know, I was sort of lacking some self-confidence myself going through all of that. And, uh, yeah, I signed it. Brooke was still working in Melbourne. So I, I went up and I, I surfed on your couch for a bit. Um, and then I surfed on my brother's couch for a bit just to play shoot shield and 
we got up there and played a couple of good games and we were in the semi-final against North. Um, and 20 minutes in, I've, I've made a tackle and dislocated my, <laughs> dislocated my left shoulder. Um, third game back from a six-month foot rehab. And um, I needed a full reconstruction and biceps tendon reattachment. So at this point, mate, I, uh, I'm done. I'm probably going to retire from rugby. I've given mentally everything I, I can give. Physically, I think my body's just... I, maybe I'm not cut out for the professional rugby. I, I don't know. Uh, I know. I know I'm good enough. And I, and I, 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 be, I still believed that. I just, I just couldn't get a break. Um, so I said to Brooke, pack up our house um, in Melbourne, come up to Sydney. Um, we're going to go on a holiday. We're going to get as far away from rugby and the people around rugby and, and we're going to go and enjoy ourselves for a few months. So we applied for a working visa in Canada and um, the, the visa came back and Brooke and I jumped on a plane with a one-way ticket. And, um, you know, I was four, four weeks out of a shoulder reconstruction, so still in a sling and everything. And we, uh, we jumped on a plane and we landed in a little town called Nanaimo in, um, in British Columbia on Vancouver Island. It's just a sort of short ferry away from Vancouver mainland. And I had a mutual friend there and that was my sort of connection. And, um, we were sort of, uh, he said, oh, mate, there's a local rugby team here called the Nanaimo Hornets. He said, why don't you come down and help them out a little bit? I know you're in a shoulder sling and all that, but um, why don't you come and help them out? I'm sure the forwards could use a little bit of help. And I said, oh, mate, I, I didn't come here for rugby. I, you know, I, you know, but I, look, I'll come down and give them a hand. And by, by two weeks, I was the head coach of this team, <laughs> traveling all over British Columbia, coaching them. And, um, and uh, it was unreal, mate. It, um, helping these guys, sort of uh, play and learn and grow in a, in, a, in a comp. And they'd just been promoted to the premier division of the, of the British Columbia League. And they're a, sort of a, a struggling club. So, yeah, to try and help them. And, and um, at the same time, I was absolutely hammering my shoulder rehab. I was, in my mind, I was, I was still picking a little bit, you know, and, and coaching this team had given me that little bit of a buzz back for, for rugby, you know, being around rugby and being around um, and helping coach a little bit, it, it started to like to sort of start that light that fire a little bit inside me that maybe I've still I've got some unfinished business, you know. Um, so we'd been in this town for about six weeks at this point, and I I see a bit of a buzz coming up of this MLR, this Major League Rugby, sort of starting in 2018. So I didn't tell Brooke, but I, I start punching a couple of emails away to a few teams, you know, and I'm trying to find what I can online, you know, uh, you know, the Seattle Seawolves. I'm like, what's a Seawolf? <laughs> you know, if I don't know what's going on. Uh, you know, the the New York team, the blah, blah, blah. Geez, it'd be nice to live there. And I'm just punching a few emails away. And, you know, a couple got back to me, but said, you know, their, their rosters are full. There's, there's not really much of a salary cap, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, and um, Seattle owner gets back to me and says, mate, there's no cap. There's no salary cap, not for a super rugby player, maybe next year, blah, blah, blah. And I go, oh, yeah, no worries. So I sort of let that go. And I was coaching a team. I was coaching my team against uh, the, the University of British Columbia up in Vancouver. And their head coach was actually the director of rugby who was putting together the roster for the Seattle Seawolves. And he'd seen me coaching that day and we had a beer in the clubhouse after. And he goes, man, look, I, I'm sorry we, could, we couldn't get you down there. We just... Um, 
we just didn't, you know, we're not going to fit you in the budget. And I, I just looked him in the eyes and I said, You've ne- you haven't even asked me what I'd come for. And he goes, what do you mean? I said, mate, put me on a plane, put me in a house and I'll figure it out. I just want to play footy again. And he goes, give me a minute. He walked outside the clubhouse, called the owner and I was down there in a couple of weeks, mate. Um, and, you know, he said, I can't guarantee you match time. I can't guarantee you anything like that. And I said, mate, just, just get me down there and I'll sort it out. Um, and then that was that was that. We moved in. I moved. Uh, had to leave my wife uh, in Canada. She didn't have a visa. They got me a visa, and I went down to Seattle and worked my ass off. Um, you know, living in a rubber house with a few boys, probably five or six boys. <laughs> so a bit of a, a bit of a different uh, lifestyle, as you can imagine. But um, we went down there. That first year was eight eight games with final series. I think we won all eight, and we won the final, uh, the semi, and the final, and. It was amazing, mate. It's changed my life forever. Um, you know, being on the verge of quitting, literally giving the game away at the age of 27, to being given a second chance, uh, you know, well and truly a second chance, another shot um, for, for a packet of biscuits and a cup of tea when I got here um, in terms of payment. Literally, um, literally. I said, mate, give me enough. My words were, give me enough to pay my groceries and put me in a house and I'll sort the rest out. Um, and I did, um, and it's yeah, forever grateful for that opportunity. You know, it it made me fall in love with rugby again. You know, to to compete, to be a part of something brand new. You know, the inaugural year of a of a of a new league and a new in a new country. Um, it was just exciting. It was fresh, and it was it was the fresh new start that I needed. You know, um, yeah, crazy, the crazy sort of path path to get there. How do you look back on that time? How do I look back on the time? Yeah, from uh, Melbourne to Waratahs. Like, how do you look back on it? Uh, how do I look back on it? I think for a lot of years, I was probably bitter. Um, a lot of years, I was probably angry about a, a lot of things. It's, you know, why me, why me, you know? <laughs> Mate, why... A lot of stuff I could have controlled better as well. You know, it's not only probably not only till the last sort of few years that I've been smart about the way I treat my body on and off the field, you know, recovery wise, nutrition wise, all of that kind of stuff. I mean, it all adds up, you know, of course I had some unlucky injuries, you know, tearing your hamstring off the bone and dislocating your shoulder, a freak accident. Um, but, you know, like, you know, could I, could I go back and change things and do things differently? Oh, of course I could, but there's not a person on this planet mate that that wouldn't tell you that you know what i mean um and that's part of growing up that's part of life and that's part of growth as a human being let alone a rugby player and um yeah i now look back and say i was very very fortunate to be a young boy from cops harbour and play super rugby you know <laughs> um you know and and i'm i'm I'll, i'm forever grateful for that opportunity and i'll i'll always be rebel number 83 mate you know and no one can take that away from me and that's pretty um pretty unreal for for a kid from Coffs, like I said. So, you know, I, I yeah, it was bitter over the years, but now I look back and I, I've I have enjoyed uh you know everywhere I've been and what I've done. Yeah. How did the opportunity at counties come up? So we'd um we'd one year one at Seattle and started to make some waves back home. You know, or you know, Match had been injured for years, blah blah blah. You know, there was a little bit of interest to come back home. And maybe have another crack at Super Rugby. Um, um, have that a look. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
little silly sausage, as we call her. Um, it's some interest to come back home and, and play super or have another crack and get back in the big leagues, as they call it. Um, I'd, you know, we just won a, uh, just won a championship. I'd committed to Seattle for a second year and we were building something awesome here. And, you know, I was part of the coaching staff at Seattle and, and part of, you know, growing, um, things off the field as well. Um, you know, in the commercial side of things and helping just try and grow the brand. And, and it was, it's something that, you know, a bigger part of a bigger, bigger cog in the engine, so to speak, than just being a, a, a number or a player as you would be in a certain, in teams, you know? I really like that side of things, helping grow the game community level as well as the professional level. Um, and my my agent uh, reached out to me and said, "Look, man, you started to create a couple of waves, you know, from from playing MLR. He's like, there's a bunch of minor ten teams um, that are looking for tight heads. Would you be willing, if if it's suited, um, would you be willing to play minor ten cup?" I said, "Mate, absolutely. I mean." Growing up and, and, and watching rugby around the world, Mitre 10 is one of the most exciting brands of footy there is. And, and you would know, watching as much bloody rugby as you do, um, Mitre 10, I don't think there's another league like it. It's the, the, I, think, I, think, I don't know the stats per se, but the amount of time that the ball is in play in Mitre 10, I, I would imagine would be higher than Super Rugby. It's, it's definitely just, the most entertaining to watch. Definitely. It's bloody, you know, and, and, you know, I didn't know too much about Counties Monaco or the... The club itself, you know, I, um, you know, I knew it was just south of Auckland and all that kind of stuff. But it wasn't until I got there um, that the club brings you in. But they don't just bring you into a team; they bring you into a rich history of rugby union in the area. Like it's it's unlike anything, you know. I think one of our first days, the new boys at the club, we had to walk into a dressing shed, and the rest of the team was singing to us. Um, uh, basically a welcome song in, in Maori in their, in their native tongue and, and basically welcoming, welcoming, welcoming you to the family. You know, you're not just a, if you're a, if you're a County's Monaco Steeler, you're part of a family and just that cultural aspect of the, of the rugby that they, they lived and breathed for, you know, is, it was just, it was amazing. It was that, that the experience. Um, yeah. You're not just, yeah, definitely not just a number on, on your, on the sheet of paper you know what I mean? It was a, a family sort of feel and, and vibe. And then not to mention the rugby side of things, mate, it was awesome. You know, the way that Mitre 10 has run, it, it's, it's professional, mate. It is, you know, you've got full staff, you're full time. The programs are awesome. Um, and, you know, the travel, the travel domestically, is, it, it's all, it's so, it's ran so smoothly. And sometimes, you know, they call it a, a hell week or something like that, where they, they have to play three games in as many as 10 days. I think just the way that the Mitre 10 works, so you might play a Thursday um, and then play a Friday the following week and then a Thursday the next week or something like that. So, you know, we got those weeks. You, you, you might even come in and only train once that week or something because you're so busted, but then you're back on the plane. It was just an awesome experience, mate. And, um, and as you know, New Zealand's a lovely, lovely country, but um, I just... Um, I just love the, the rugby side of things, mate. Like coming from Australia where I feel Australian, this is only my personal opinion, but Australia is so caught up on trying to not lose a game of rugby that they don't spend enough time on going, how are we going to win? The, how are we going to play expressively to win the bloody thing? Does that make sense? Like, it does, it does, yeah. You know, the Kiwis, their mindset is, a freedom to play expressively, a freedom to throw the ball around. Like, mate, 
you know, I'll never forget when Sonny Bill came and, and played a couple of games at, at Counties before he was trying to, you know, stake his claim for the, the All Blacks World Cup squad. And one of the young Islander boys, he tried to throw a cutout pass to the winger or something and the ball hit the ground. And he, he came in, there was a huddle straight after us. Somebody goes, boys, boys, I'm so sorry about that. And Sonny looked at him and he said, don't you ever apologise, mate, for having a crack. Don't you ever apologise for having a crack. I want to see you do it again. And everyone just sort of looked at him and like, that's the difference. That like is the ultimate sort of difference between us and, 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 and the All Blacks. Like they're, 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 they're praised for trying to, to play expressively. They're, they're, they're praised for um, showing off their skill set. And I believe we're almost coached to be robots and just scared of making mistakes. You know what I mean? That's, I, I found that so refreshing. Like, you know, unbelievably refreshing to, be, to have a freedom to play rugby union. You know, it was unreal. Do you, do you think that's the difference? I think it's got a huge part of it. Um, plus, also, it's ran the way that rugby union is run in New Zealand is like a well-oiled machine. I mean, when you've got the ultimate product, which is the All Blacks, um, and they're, if you look at it as a holistic view, Super Rugby underneath runs very smoothly. Mitre 10 is probably one of the best domestic comps in, in, in the world. I think it's just... It's their shiny product, Rubber Union, and, and they're, they're making sure it's, it stays that way. And I think that's unreal, you know. And there's not a whole lot of competition for other sports. So, you know, I, I know we've got AFL and, and um, Rugby League and um, cricket and all that, and, as they do. Um, but, but that is well and truly their, their national sport. You know, it's, um, you know, their, way, you, their one-way ticket. Are you going back? I did sign a two-year deal. So last year I was supposed to go back with COVID, but the borders the borders were closed. Um, so unless I can get vaccinated over here, I teams I can't get through the borders at the moment. So um, once I grab a vaccination here, um, we'll try and nut something out. I'd like to go for one more year. Yeah. Yeah. What's how many more years have you got in the major league? Uh, contractually or just yeah. in my mind? <laughs> <laughs> Let's go contractually, then we'll go in your mind. So after the first year, I had a one-year visa. Um, after we won and I had a successful year myself, I signed a four-year contract with Major League Rugby. Then they were then able to um, apply for my visa on for the duration of that contract. So, you know, um, I signed with the league until 2022 which will come up after next season. But in, in, that, in that contract, um, it was more just for the visa side of things. The way it works is that every year, my contract, my personal contract is negotiable um, for club and figure amount. So it's basically a way of being able to prolong the visa process for, for some foreigners they want to keep around. Um, so every year, we just sort of have a sit down and, and nut, nut out what, we, what I want to get done and with the club um and, and and that's how we sort of figure it out from here um i've got one year left on this current visa which will be my fifth year uh, next year uh over here so yeah we'll, we'll see it's been a little bit tricky to navigate with uh with the newborn um and um you know brooke, brooke my wife she can't work in, the, in america um she can only live um on the back of my visa she can live in the country but she can't work so um, yeah, there's, you know, there's some benefits and then there's some, some, some backlash as well from that. Um, Brooke's been so, such a great support to me, but basically put her life on hold for a while. 
you know, yeah. especially in the early years. Probably a little bit easier now that we've got Ivy, our, our young daughter, because, you know, you know she, she's got her hands full. The little rascal is here. And, um, and, you know, we also have a lot of good family, in, you know, I wouldn't say family, but close friends and a lot of some of my teammates have got some young, young kids as well. So we have that um, sort of close-knit fam, family feel around in Seattle. So as, as hard as it is to take my family away from from grandparents and things like that, we still have a pretty good support structure here in Seattle. Yeah, for sure. How many more years do you think you have left of rugby? Uh, I don't know. I honestly don't know. I, apart from... Okay, so this way, you know, I was saying when I was at Melbourne and I had five, five operations in, in four years, you know, and, you know, from the first game I played for... For Seattle, I haven't missed a game until until this season. You know, I've I think like the year I played at Counties in 2019, I played 44 games of rugby, including Major League and, and Counties, and started every one. Um, and just a complete reverse of what what was the norm to me in terms of um, my career in Melbourne. Um, but then going along again with how I have learned to look after myself better. Um, things I need to do to stay on the pitch. I honestly feel pretty good, mate. I'll be honest with you, I feel good. I mean, I'm turning, I'm only turning 30 um, in May. So look, touch wood. I don't know, mate. Uh, the only thing I, I would say is that I, I don't, I want my kids to go to school at home in Australia. I, I, I'm a firm believer in that. Um, yeah. But Ivy's only five months old, mate. So maybe I can shake a couple more years out. We'll see. What? What are you going to do once you finish playing? It's a good question. Um, I've been thinking about it uh, for a few years. Um, definitely going to, Brooke and I want to open a business when we go home. Um, I've always been a big fan and we both have worked in the fitness industry. So something along those lines and also food, as, as you would know, I'm pretty, pretty big on my food. <laughs> um, I, I think people are always going to want to keep fit and people are always going to try and fuel their body. Um, so if I can try and incorporate both of those into a business model somehow yeah. um, in the future, I think that's where I want to go. Um, but before getting to that point of being able to open my own or our own, you know, thing, maybe, maybe get into business at a, at a franchise level and, and just get a bit more understanding about how to manage people, manage staff, um, manage a, a business um, before actually going on and doing my own my own thing so to speak you know a franchise is a pretty foolproof plan on how to run a business because there's a there's a plan right in front of you you know what i mean and and the the franchisee uh or the franchisor they're a call away if there's a problem you know what i mean yeah. um so to sort of dip your toe in the water in terms of running a business before crawl before you can walk sort of so to speak yeah it's a good idea um I tried to do a business course, but nothing sets you up for running a business, like actually running a business. Yeah. So that yeah, seems I like also, a, yeah. I also started a, a, a business degree at, when I was at Melbourne and I, I did a few subjects and just thought, this, is, this isn't going to help me when I, I mean, it'll help me get a job, but I don't, I don't want to sit at a desk and, and work in marketing. You know what I mean? Like, that's not me. Um, and a lot of people like you've also just said have, have also said like learn by just having a crack. Um, so it's the only um, one. 
it's easier said than done though when you're investing a, a substantial amount of money into something and um but i mean it is like i said with the franchise options and there's a lot of support and a lot of research and a lot of history and those sort of things so yeah mate, that, that would be the plan guzman why gomez oh you know it mate i the food one i really want to open a zambrero i, I love zambrero um do they have them in the states they don't have them in the states but they're strangely affordable in Australia. I mean, yeah. I think a, a Zambero franchise, I, I, I would say it's about 25% cheaper than a Guzman. Um, and I would say that Zambero is probably 25% nicer than Guzman. So, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a win-win. I'd agree with you. I'd agree with yeah. you. Mate, thanks for this. I won't take you too much. I won't keep you too much longer. Yeah, no um, What is your favourite touring place that you've ever been to? Favourite touring place? Oh, you know, the standard ones, like I love South Africa and all that kind of stuff. But I, I have to say, mate, growing up watching movies as a little kid, there is, there's no city in the world like New York. There is not... It is exactly what you think you see on a postcard and more. It is, it is just a, a city with such rich history and every block there's something new and different I, we spent 10 days there on a holiday before i'd played rugby there and i i hadn't even seen 10 percent of, of manhattan only you know on foot you know it, it was such an amazing city um i also am a big fan of austin texas and i would say if you can get if you can get to austin you can ask young uh, hugh roach i'm sure he's a big fan of austin texas i've been, it's I've been getting of, regular updates <laughs> it is a hell of a city it's a hell of a city um yeah, I also enjoyed Hong Kong. I know that you guys have spent a, a lot of time in Hong Kong as well um, with your with your father, you know, being such a, basically the president over there or whatever he is. Um, it's, um, I really enjoyed that city as well. But um, I would say, I, w- I would say I'm going to go with New York City. Yeah. Oh, have you been back since COVID has been on? No, I haven't. Um, at the league last year actually got cancelled on the Friday and we were flying to New York on the Thursday, the day before. Um, yeah, right. So we, we basically just got grounded and told not to go to the airport. Um, the league at that point was going to be suspended for 30 days while they try and figure out what this COVID is. Um, and then it, it was pretty evident pretty quickly that um, it, was, it, was, it, it meant some business and, um, and then they shut the league down. And Seattle was probably one of the first cities actually that had quite a big outbreak a lady had travelled to Korea and, and contracted coronavirus and then she'd come back and she worked at a nursing home and it went right through the nursing home and, and it killed 60 elderly patients within like seven days or something like that. And it's probably one of the first real outbreaks, in, uh, especially in America. So that was a bit yeah. scary because we, we were still here in town at that point. Um, and, and when that sort of started to happen, we, we just jumped on a plane as, as soon as we could before Australia would shut their borders. Yeah. Let's throw Rob James under the bus a bit. What's your favourite Rob James story that you can share? I don't. There's none on. There's none on this thing, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised he isn't. I'm surprised he isn't on a separate Zoom on the side here watching it. I don't know. The big fella, Rob James. Look, let's just let's say some nice things about him first. There'd never be a bloke in the world that would that would care that could care more than Rob James and. The old saying, give you the shirt off his back, mate, uh, tenfold, ten times over, you know. Just a, just a little bit of a, he's just our pony, you know what I'm saying, mate. Like, you know, just, can, can we make some better decisions in our life? Probably. 
you know, probably. <laughs> <laughs> you know, hey, I'm not here to throw any stones, mate. You know, I've made a couple of errors in my life, you know. But, geez, big time, something. Mate, that's the, um, that's the nicest possible way of saying what you just said. <laughs> yes. I won't, you can elaborate if you want, but. Um, no, I won't do that to him. Mate, let's, let's finish. Thank you so much for this. This was awesome. No, no worries, mate. I, I appreciate the, the opportunity to have a chat and, and tell my story. It's, um, it's a bit of a weird one. And it's sort of gone up, down and around and everywhere. But, um, you know, if, if someone hears, hears it um, when they're a bit down in the dumps or in an injury or something like that and, and um, sees a bit of light at the end of the tunnel, then, you know, it's, worth, it's a story worth telling. So I, I appreciate the opportunity. And, mate, and congrats on, on everything you're doing and, and – um, Seeing the podcast is, is awesome, mate, and good on you for having a crack and putting yourself out there because I know it's it's um it's not always easy to wear your heart on your sleeve and, and be yourself, but mate, you, you do it so well and it's been awesome to follow, mate. So keep it up, mate. I appreciate it a lot. Um, yeah. Well, w- when when you agreed to do this, I, like this couldn't have gone any better. But for me, some of the stuff you've overcome to get to where you are now, you you really deserve what you've got, and I just wanted to get that across to people and I think you've done a really good job of that. Oh, I appreciate um, that, mate. Yeah. It's um yeah, that's a nice way of putting it. Yeah, it's um some some fruit at the end of the at the end of the rainbow or a pot of gold or, or whatever it be. But um I was like I said when we were chatting earlier, just very fortunate enough to get a second chance. Um and, and not many people in sport do. So I'll be forever grateful to Seattle for that. Um and counties, counties Monaco as well and um, yeah, mate, we've uh, we've turned a corner for sure. Hey, will will we see you back in a Southern Districts jersey one day? Ah, uh, the old question. <laughs> <laughs> I I'm not going to say no, but I I dare say we'll be in a lower grade. Great way of saying it, mate. Yeah, <laughs> I've uh, I've jumped into coaching this year. I've seen. Yeah, how are you travelling with that? Uh, it's way more work than I thought. Way yeah. more work, way yeah. more work. Um, I'm enjoying it, but it's, uh, it's uh, playing is a lot less stressful. I'll put it that way. Yeah, yeah. You're enjoying it. You're enjoying. You're enjoying it. Yeah, I'm. I'm learning a lot. It's for for me. So I'm coaching twos now. So previously, yeah. I'd only ever watch scrums, lineouts, and then myself yeah. around the field. Or yeah, exactly. I'd yeah. follow yeah. props around the field in the game and. Now I've gone from doing that to having to care about attack, having to care about defence, having to care about counter-attack, yeah. kicking, stuff that is kind of logical, but I'd never really worried about it before. Yeah, because there's people, there's other people taking care of those sort of areas. You know? Yeah, well, yeah. and... and like, why, why does a tight have to know about counter-attack? I mean, give me a break. Well, you know, all I want to do is avoid them running it back so I don't get sidestepped. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah, just get to the so, edge. Just get to the edge. Well, that's right. So... <laughs> And then, and then it's it's a very weird mix because I played with a lot, a lot of the guys, and yes, yeah, you know, I've, you know, some some of them have know some of the things that I've done, and they're like that fucking guy's telling me about attack, <laughs> yeah. you know, or, <laughs> or, or that guy's going, oh, you probably shouldn't drink so much after a game. Not that I say that anyway, but it's a weird mix. Yes. No, I bet. But it's all I found that as well. Coaching scrum, scrum, scrum coach over here in Seattle, and it's just it's very hard to coach people that you're putting your jersey on next to as well, or yeah. pe- or, or people that you have like put the jersey on. 
because you're mates and you'll you'll always be mates, you know. So trying to find that fine line of um, mentor slash teammate, it's always going to be tough. But um, mate, you've got a hell of a lot of knowledge up there from your your time, so that it's awesome that you can pass it on, and especially at the club that we both care so deeply about. So um, no, that's awesome, mate. I'm happy for you. Thanks, buddy. So is coaching something that interests you once you've done playing? Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, not too sure in what what area. Um, I'd say there might be some opportunities over here. Um, but yeah, I'll just sort of feel it out as I'm getting, as my body again for the second time starts to let me down. <laughs> what, what have you done? You've got a hammy strain? Oh, no, I just, yeah, I was only out for, I had tore my hemi in, uh, in pre-season, yeah. So not, not too bad. I'm, I'm, I've, I've finished my return to play this week, so I'll be back in for, for our third game. Nice, next week, this weekend against Utah. So ready to roll. Mate, say hello to Summer for me. Um, I will do. We're button heads again. Say hello to Rochi when you see him. Will do. And I um, appreciate it, mate. This is great. This no is really, really good, mate. Um, say hello to Brooke and Ivy and we'll talk soon. Will do, buddy. All the best to Kate, mate, and uh, we'll chat soon, buddy. Cheers, mate. Appreciate it a lot. See you, Charles. No worries, mate. See you, brother. Bye.